in you weren't there, Gav. It, we were just speaking to Siobhan. She was like, Gav watched this film when he was four, and she was being deadly serious. And she was like, I actually think it's damaged him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of Films on Trial. I'm Gav. I'm Alex. Joel. I'm Dave. And I'm Austin. <laughs> and it's the, sorry Alex, it was just sneezing and then I thought it was going to be really loud. It wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> he did, a, he did, he did <laughs> an incredible job, yeah. <laughs> very, very tidy. Um, so it's the last of our Kevin Costner season this week. And just like Gary Kemp's Hollywood career, our Kevin Costner season was surprising <laughs> questionable and although some might say all too brief others would probably say has rightly come to a close (laughs) (laughs) now this week we're putting the 1992 action drama romance film the bodyguard on trial is it a bulletproof vest or is it a bullet in the chest essentially i think it's a bit of both actually essentially will this film be placed on our esteemed hit list or our steaming shit list now, before we go on, our last film on trial was The Postman. Alex judged that trial and deemed that it should be placed on the shit list. He's since gone away and watched the film, so did he make the right call, Alex? Yes, of course I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a shit film. But I did quite enjoy it in a weird way. Uh, maybe you guys, the way you guys were talking about it, it did make it entertaining. There were just some funny bits, like the, the, fight, the last fight scene between you know kevin costa and will Patton is just hilarious yeah, it, yeah. Honest, it reminded me about what like me and my brother used to fight like when we were about six years old just rolling around <laughs> wrestling but if it hadn't been for like about the last 45 minutes it just becomes really patriotic and just really up itself and just kevin costner just honestly just going it's it's so self-indulgent it'd been quite a good film and it might be one to watch again but yeah it was it's on the right list without a doubt and what I read afterwards, which I thought was quite surprising, is, you know, the similar to Waterworld, this was a production that went way over budget and way over time. And then when it was finally released, it was massively panned by critics. I read that Kevin Costner was actually pivotal in getting Air Force One off the ground hmm. and that he developed the script and he like worked maybe as a, a bit of a producer initially because he was originally going to take the lead on that. However, the postman overrun by so much that he had to bail out. And he recommended that Harrison Ford took the job. He rang Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford always says he's very grateful for that because Air Force One went on to become one of the most commercially and probably critically successful action films of 1997. And the postman essentially buries Kevin Costner's career. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, now on to the trial. All of the roles have been picked out of the hat at random. So acting in defense and trying to get this film placed on the hit list will be Joel and Ozzy. Joel is just like Thomas Arana's character, Portman. We're not too sure what he does for a living, but we do know that he hates the Oscars. And mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I know it's very apt, very, <laughs> very apt descriptions this week. And Ozzy is just like Whitney Houston's character, Rachel Marin. He's musically very gifted. He dresses very exuberantly. And the people he's closest to have conspired against him to get him killed. <laughs> I mean, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> Didn't say that. <laughs> and uh, after this prosecution and trying to get this film placed on the shit list will be me and Joel. I'm just like Gary Kemp's character, Cy Spectre. 
I am 100% focused on marketing this podcast and striving for its success. And I will put any of you in harm's way in order to achieve that success. And Alex is just like Kevin Costner's character, Frank Farmer. He spends his days looking after vulnerable people and tutoring younger students, but spends his nights watching pretentious films and playing with his sword. (laughs) (laughs) Now, just like real court advocates, the defense and prosecution will be making the best case for their roles. These may or may not be their real opinions, though, so do stay tuned until the end of the episode to hear their genuine thoughts. This week, Dave will be playing the judge and he has to decide which list the film should be placed on, the hit or shit, based solely on the arguments put to him and not using his own opinion. And Dave is just like Bill Cobbs' character, Devani, a wise man who offers sage advice that everybody ignores. That could have been worse. I thought it was <laughs> Now, before we get started, I think that we should give the listeners a bit of a better understanding as to what this film is about. So let us spin the Wheel of Impressions. Here we read off the synopsis of the film in the style of one of the cast or characters from the film. This week it's landed on Alex. So how would we like Alex to read out the synopsis? Um, I've, I've not seen the film, so you're going to have to help me out in this one. Well, I mean, yeah, there's not, not that many to There's not many, there's not yeah, particularly exciting accents, is there, to be fair? What about Kevin Costner's mundane action hero voice? <laughs> I can't, I don't know what. It's just your normal voice, but with an American what, accent. What about what about Gary Kemp's <laughs> sort of like odious Cockney sort of? Yeah, is he a Cockney yeah. in that? Isn't he? Is he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's, you he's, thinking he's, of Ross Kemp? Talking like this, isn't he? It's like, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I'll do. I'll do. I'll do the English agent voice. Okay. A former Secret Service agent takes on the job of bodyguard to an R and B singer whose lifestyle is most unlike a president's. That was. That was. That was it sounds like you've got a lot of practice at that. <laughs> that was. What was one of your best impressions? To be honest, mate. Thanks. Yeah. I was going to say Gary Kemp. You can add that to the list of us. Bucks one side out. Gary Kemp. No, do you know? I've, I've been working on a new one. It's not ready yet, but Werner Herzog. I've been working on that one. So uh, <laughs> looking forward to that wait. one. Yeah, yeah. Don't worry. I'll crack I it can't wait for guys. this one-man show yeah, of yours. It's, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's a bit of a work in progress. So I don't want to show you a sneak preview, but it's, it's very good. It's very good. It's like Alan Bennett's talking heads. Okay, so let's kick things off then. Dave, would you like to please I, kick things off? I think I best. The Bodyguard. I know it's a classic. Everyone knows the soundtrack. Would you believe I've never seen it? Genuinely, I haven't got a clue what this is about. I believe Kevin Costner is Whitney Houston's bodyguard. That is about as much as I know. That's about as much as the poster told me. So I haven't got a clue. This is really all to play for. Spare me no details. Don't presume I know anything about this because I don't. So let's start with an overview of the film. Um, Ozzy, would you like to give me an overview of what the film's essentially about? Yeah, yeah. I mean, as ever, it's very difficult for me to summarise it in to just a few minutes, but this while it goes on. I'll try and condense you. (laughs) (laughs) Essentially, you know, he's a former Secret Service guy. He's he's out of work. He's not been doing much. So he's a little bit rusty when somebody comes to, um, to, to meet him and ask him if he wants to come and do a job. But um, he's a little bit out of service, a bit, a little bit out of um, sorts. Eventually, the guy comes to him. You know, you're the best in the business, and we need the best in the business. He turns up to Whitney Houston's house. Basically, the security is a million miles away from what he's been used to, which is looking after the president. So he 
you know, sort of lo and behold, he turns the job down. They beg him to stay. He says, I'll only stay if everyone does exactly what I say. He starts going there and he's just completely over the top for what they they want. Eventually, everybody realizes that he's right. And he sort of falls in love with Whitney Houston or she falls in love with him or they... So there's another like Kevin Costner where he gets a seed. Oh, there is, is that, a threat. Yeah, yeah. somebody's. Yeah, yeah. it's not like Kevin Costner. Sorry, yeah. doesn't give a seed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, there is a threat. So somebody's trying to um, somebody's trying to kill uh, Whitney Houston's character, right, okay. Rachel. So um, she's had death threats. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, has, I will but say she doesn't know that she's had the death threats. Yeah, she, she doesn't know that she's had the death threats because uh, security team don't tell her that somebody's broken into her house and jizzed on her bed. <laughs> I mean, if we're to believe any I, of the Kevin Costner films Gab. we've seen, is that actually that's true? <laughs> that is true. No, that is, is true. That yeah, is what happened because Gab just makes, makes stuff up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is the sort of thing he'd throw in there. It was <laughs> Kevin Costner probably trying to give his seed to another woman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's, it may well be a market employee of his to um, to get more work because it is alluded to that it's very good money. Uh, the role he's doing uh, but no in, in all seriousness he's um so she doesn't know that why they're bringing in new security she thinks everything's okay they are the, the existing security are in way over their heads you know they're basically just just a big guy the the, the existing security so um he doesn't know very much but she thinks that's fine that's what she's used to bouncers and all that stuff and she's used to socializing you know going out being seen and, and out and about that's completely against what kevin costner's uh previous life was so worlds collide eventually they uh see eye to eye and then they fall apart again just when she's at the oscars uh he's, he's so bodyguard like essentially he's so defensive and so worried about everything that he's uh, he's constantly on the lookout and he's got her paranoid and it gets to the big scene and she's in the oscars and basically she breaks up with him says you're fired don't want you and as he's on his way out he spots the the baddie comes jumps back in saves her Every, she still thinks he's uh, he's just off his tits. He just doesn't know what's going on anymore. Even with and, a gun um, in her face, she's like, <laughs> yeah. Well, she doesn't. Well, she doesn't see the she doesn't see the sniper. She doesn't see the assassin. Right. She hears the gunshots, but he's got a gun in his hand because he's shooting at the the killer. So um, she thinks he's just lost it, and it's him doing the shooting. And then um, as she rolls him over, he's he's been shot. He took a bullet for her, and then. They they go separate ways, and he's, uh, he he gets back on. That's basically the end of the film, really. Okay. I've missed a few bits out, but that's the gist of it. That's the gist. Okay, sounds promising to be honest with you. It sounds you know a gunfight at the Oscars. This sounds like something I want to see. And yeah, it's it's kind of what you'd expect from the poster. You know, it's, it doesn't. I wouldn't say it breaks down any barriers or anything. It doesn't give me anything I'm not expecting. But this sounds like this could be a good watch. I'm guessing it's not though. it's not because precisely what you just said it is exactly what you're expecting it really doesn't do anything special this film it's it's pretty much just a a pot boiler you see it like absolutely just telegraphs its punches from miles away so you see it coming really really far away and it it just just make it boring the essential elements of the film just aren't strong enough and it makes for like a standard thriller but just just not entertaining enough i mean I'd say the big thing that you've got the, the storylines going is that you've got this action thriller, but you've got this romance thrown in between Kevin Costner and Whitney Houston, or, you know, Rachel uh, is a character name. And it's just not very entertaining. As Ozzy said, it's even towards the end of the film and she's still not, um, she's still like, oh, you know, you, you're over, you're overprotecting me. You're too much. There's no real arc. There's no real growth between the characters. Like it starts where, 
you know, she doesn't want him there. And then there's a scene in a club where she obviously really needs him and he saves her. They does the sort of the fireman's lift, which is the famous poster shot. And then off they go. And then they develop a relationship. And, you know, then it turns out that actually he doesn't, he thinks they've grown too close and he pulls away. And that's really interesting. That's fine. But it keeps coming back to this thing where she's just like, oh, no, you're overprotecting me. You're overprotecting me. You're overprotecting me. And it's boring by the end. So even when in the Oscars, she's at the Oscar ceremony three or four days after her sister has been shot in the same house that she's in. And murdered. Murdered. Yeah, yeah. Shot and murdered by someone who is trying to murder her. Is that like a mistaken identity that her and her sister look? No, I think, no, it turns out that actually the sister, spoiler, the sister's the one that initially has pulled, put the contract out on Rachel, basically. she's. But but yeah, no, that is what happens, to be fair. The the assassin thinks that the sister is Rachel. Right. So, but... So, but and according to Rachel, doesn't know that you know this about her sister and stuff like this. So, so she thinks her sister's just been shot, and that just doesn't make any difference. She's just at the Oscars, and this is what I mean that if the film really went for it or made that you know that oh you know that that change, it would be a bit nuanced and a bit interesting. But it just doesn't even really. It, it just makes it very pot boilery and very much like things don't really make sense, mm. and it, it just makes it boring. Like, all right, but just boring really, and a bit too long okay gav i saw your hand up before as well yeah i I just agree with everything alex said i won't rehash anything i I will say that this the script as alex said is completely weak it's based on a script by lawrence kasdan that was written and shelved for almost 20 years after he had it rejected by studios 67 times it was originally conceived as a project for steve mcqueen and diana ross Maybe they would have been better at it. I don't know. I think after a project has been left for so long, it's only going to stagnate. It's not going to improve. And yeah, it it just didn't. The film, as Alex said, towards the end becomes incredibly dull. The romance, which is supposed to be the central point of this film, is just lifeless and uninspiring. There's these bad twists just thrown in for the sake of it, I think. There's sort of one maybe genuinely tensioned film scene at the winter cabin but then there's this painfully cheesy poorly directed climatic fight and then this really anemic embrace between the two of them at the end the film just isn't as good as you remember it yeah it was a commercially successful film but kevin costner was a massive heartthrob at the time and houston was an absolute megastar so it was always going to have mainstream appeal but as a film it's very very disappointing it's essentially a collection of music videos with a thinly constructed romance threaded through it It's poorly directed. The script is tired. The film fails as a thriller as it's not suspenseful enough. It fails as an action film as the action is too fleeting and sparse. It fails as a romance as the love story is not only unbelievable, but it's poorly acted by a pair of performers who had such little chemistry that I was genuinely surprised to find out that they really got along on set and they didn't fucking hate each other. (laughs) So (laughs) essentially, step aside, bodyguard, and shoot me now. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, I mean... I've got notes. I've got notes, but nothing nearly as uh, as impressive <laughs> as that speech from Gav. To be honest with you, you know what? I, I don't think um, you know some some of what's being said is fine. You know, it is obvious. You know, and I I didn't deny that. But I think that it doesn't matter about the obviousness of the plot because it's it's quite charming anyway. And the I think what makes it enjoyable is almost the familiarity. You know, you you can appreciate Whitney Houston and you can appreciate Kevin Costner. Uh, doing a doing a, a pretty pretty good job of acting, you know, in terms of the whole thing. I think she does a really good job of it, which I wasn't expecting, to be honest with you, from a from a musician. You know, I kind of expected it to just be 
like just playing herself. I suppose she's played a caricature of herself in some ways, uh, mm-hmm. which is fine, you know, being more of a diva than, than, than anyone would know. But I think the film is, it is actually quite good because it's familiar. I think it's something you can sit down. It's like a Saturday night popcorn movie. It's a, it's an easy watch. It's an entertaining watch. And I, and I don't think it, you know, the, I didn't think the script was nearly as weak as, as the guys are saying. It's not, a, you know, it's not a, an Olivier award winning script, but it's a, for what, for what it is, in terms of a bit of a, almost like a, an action thriller, drama thriller in mm-hmm. some ways. I think it's, uh, I find it really entertaining, surprisingly entertaining. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, Joel, I want to bring you into the fold on this one. So we've talked a lot about the uh, the script here, the general plot, the general film in in, in uh, basically in, the, in terms of direction as well and how it stands as a, a thriller, a romance film, an action film. You know, Gav says it's really it's successful, but that's just because Whitney Houston was so popular. Kevin Costner, Gav said, was a heartthrob at the time. I'd argue he still is. Um, I mean, what's your take on it, Joel? What do you think? Um. I was going to reply to you, but you've completely thrown me off now with the, with that statement about Kevin Costner still being a heart. Tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> um, uh, to, to be completely honest, I was about to say exactly what Ozzy just said. You know, it's it's not like a perfect film. If you come into this thinking it's going to be, you know, the King's Speech type of script and highly polished visuals and all that type of stuff, you're going to be disappointed. But if you just kind of sit back and enjoy it for what it is, then you can really kind of get sucked into it. And I think the length as well for a Kevin Costner film is perfect. It's either two hours or just under two hours. You know, I was expecting it to be like three and a half hours. It's not. It doesn't overstay its welcome at all. The plot moves fairly, fairly quickly. There isn't like a massive amount of characters. There's just a few characters for you to kind of, you know, get to grips with. And because of that, you actually get involved a little bit in the story as well. Kevin Costner's character... I've criticised him all the way through kind of Kevin Costner month for kind of playing the same thing. But every now and then there's a character that just fits him because he has to be like dead and unemotionless and kind of just very stern faced. And sometimes he has roles where, you know, it's going to fit his personality. And, and this is one of those roles. He just plays his character really, really well. You know, he kind of reluctantly almost falls in love with uh, with Rachel, Whitney Houston's character. But, you know, it's it's one of those things that is destined not to work out in the end because of what she does and what he does. And both of them, I think, play it, play it perfectly. Okay, uh, so, so, sorry, yeah. carry on. I thought you were done. No, but that is pretty much it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not finished. No, I'm finished. <laughs> so hearing from hearing from Joel, there, it was um, we were touching on performances. So I got the idea of the story. I've got an idea of, of how this film's come together. But I think the driving force behind it is how are the performances here? What are these characters like, and how good are the people who are portraying them? Uh, Alex, I want to come to you first on this one. I like Kevin Costner, but this is a film that I did not like Kevin Costner in. I think Kevin Costner's got a nice, I think he's got a nice sort of, you know, when you know it's Kevin Costner, he's kind of one of those actors, a bit like Al Pacino or Robert De Niro, you kind of get Kevin Costner and it's and it's a good deal. But normally, Kevin Costner's got a bit of humour and Frank Farmer has absolutely no humour. So, you know, normally, like, if you think about Postman or Waterworld or Robin Hood, he's kind of like, you know, he's quite a serious guy, but every now and again he'll have like a wry smile or a sort of a witty dry comment or something like that. There is none of that to Frank Farmer. He's an incredibly dull character to watch throughout the entirety of the film. I have absolutely... Saving lives isn't funny, Alex. <laughs> it's serious <laughs> business. It's job where he's got to take it seriously. This I have 
Zero I, idea. He was... I, I know. I know why. I know why Frank Farmer falls in love with Rachel Maron. You know, she's a pop diva and stuff like that. It all makes you know it makes sense. You know, she's a beautiful woman. You know, there's a she. You know, and she and she's very nice. She's got a son. You know, there's lots of things to her. Frank Farmer. I have absolutely no idea why Rachel Maron falls for him because he's just. Stunning. He's just boring you know he, he seems to know his job but honestly he walks up and she just kind of goes doe-eyed instantly she he really doesn't have to do much to for, for her to to fall in love yeah there's bits where like he saves her or something but he's just a really really dull dull man and, and a terrible character and i really like kevin costner so it's not easy for me to say that whitney houston does a very good job considering she's whitney houston you know but i wouldn't necessarily say that it's a good job i just say that yeah, she 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 does it very well. It's it's a credible performance, and it's if it was like in a more minor supporting role, it'd be really really good. But I I, I do think a whole full feature length film is a little bit beyond, especially maybe if she was playing against someone that had a bit of spark. But she is the spark in the scene because Kevin's giving you nothing, like nothing throughout an entire scene. So Whitney Houston's got to be the one that's really doing the acting or doing the you know stealing the show a little bit. That's hard for you know a big for, for a music performer in the first time. So I would, yeah, just to focus on those main two, because it is really about those main two. I, I just don't think Kevin, I, I just don't I, I do like him as an actor. I just think his character was dull and it made for quite a dull film. Mm-hmm. Okay. Ooh. Well, that's pretty scathing on uh on Costner. Although I heard some good things about Whitney. I do want to you say this just focuses on those two. You know I'm an ensemble cast kind of guy. I will be going into the other characters. So Joel or Ozzy, I'd like uh, one of you to come back on the two principals, and then I'll come back to the other for the uh, for the supporting cast. Who'd like to take the principals? So Kevin Costner, like a, a you know, I said previously, it's just one of those roles that kind of matches his his natural personality in a way. And Whitney Houston, I was expecting this to be absolutely terrible. You know, I. I'm obviously not a Whitney Houston fan in terms of her music, and I've never really kind of seen much in terms of her in terms of her like natural persona on interviews and things like that. But she she was absolutely perfect in this. I'm surprised actually that she didn't, you know, go on and have more roles. You know, kind of someone like Jennifer Lopez did or something like that. Um, you know, she really was, I would say, one of the best kind of off the cuff pop star performances that I've seen really. And in terms of the the two characters, I mean, some of them are cliche, but I don't think the film is trying to be anything different. I think it's one of those films where you've just got to sit back, relax and enjoy it. You know, it's it's nothing nuanced. It's nothing overly complex. It is very much a kind of popcorn film. You might watch it with you, you know, with your partner, your wife, your husband, whatever. And it's one of those films that you can enjoy together and you'll just have a good time watching it, I think. So if you try and take anything more out of this film, you may be left disappointed because it's not one of those heavy watches. So overall, I think both of the characters, which is is quite rare really for a Kevin Costner film, do pretty well in their roles. And I don't think they will take you out of the film whatsoever. I don't think there's any moments where you're like, ooh, you know, that was pretty bad or anything like that. So yeah, A plus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, happy days, David. I'll, I'll write that down. <laughs> a plus. Uh, Gav, I want to come to you next and get your take on cast and characters. What do you think? Um, if you want to tell me a little about the supporting cast as well, that would be welcome. 
Yeah, yeah, I, I will agree with Joel. I do think it was A plus, as in there was one solitary plus, and there was a lot and a lot of negatives and minuses. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I agree 100% with what Alex said. You could replace Kevin Costner with a mannequin, and it probably would have put it in a better shift than he did. Costner, as an actor, is always he's always expressed that he loves westerns and how he's influenced by quiet, tough guy performances in movies like Shane, The Magnificent Seven, and The Dollars Trilogy. So similarly to every other Kevin Costner film that we've done on this podcast so far, here this character is supposed to be charming, charismatic, mysteriously mysterious, interesting. But because the character is also a strong and silent type, you need a good, versatile performer to express that. Eastwood, Brenner, Brosnan, McQueen, they could have all carried this off because they had buckets of charisma, but Costner just doesn't. He has the constant look on his face of somebody who's in the middle of doing their taxes. And Whitney Houston, I won't go into too much detail, but with what Alex said much earlier on, I don't sort of believe that she was in any genuine danger throughout this film. She never really conveyed that fear to me. Well, she wasn't. It was a film. What? Sorry. Well, she wasn't. It's a film, and you're like you're you're so stoic. You don't even you don't even like horror films. Now this way, this is never going to scare you, is it? But no, so, for the no, mere so, mortal. There was a lot of jeopardy involved in there. Yeah, no, but somebody should have told Winnie Houston's face because that didn't convey it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she, she constantly disregards Frank's advice. And even after her son has almost exploded and her sister is murdered, she seems pretty cool about the whole situation, so much so that she's willing to go to the Oscars. The other characters, I mean, se separate from the central two, we're just introduced to these characters and they're completely abandoned. Bill Cobbs's character of Devaney, he seems like a mentor to both Frank and Rachel and he's the one who actually organises the pairing. But what the fuck happens to him? He's this really important character at the beginning who just disappears for about 40 minutes and then briefly reappears at the Oscars ceremony just in the background. No character development at all. The chauffeur, played by Devon Nixon, is trained up by Costner early on with secret service skills. So we think, oh, this guy's going to use these at some point. This is like Chekhov's gone. He's going to have to use these these secret service skills at some point. No, that doesn't go anywhere. He doesn't use them once. What, sorry? He uses them once to get rid of, to get away from the, uh, the weird blonde guy. Yeah, so he's driving, he's a chauffeur, you know what I mean? It's not much of a stretch. Like, yeah, but he only gets taught how to do driving skills. Like, what happens to him after that happens? What happens that? What happens to him after that one scene? Well, they get a better chauffeur, someone who's not so conspicuous. <laughs> God, he literally, now you've said it, I actually hadn't realised, but he's not in the film ever again. Oh my God, I literally hadn't even thought of that. Jesus, like, between 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 that scene and the Oscars scene. Uber was <laughs> <laughs> another one that annoys me is Mike Starr's head of security, Tony. He's really bad at his job. Frank pulls him up on this. He tries to literally murder Frank, and then <laughs> uh, Frank has him off, and and that's it. The next we see of him, he has some sort of weird respect thing going with Frank, where they're nodding at each other to say like, "Yeah, I've got your back." I feel like a huge chunk was cut from this film of them building a relationship. And this happens with every single character. They are completely abandoned for the central two, which would be fine if Rachel and Frank had any development at all. But they have zero development themselves. They're both exactly the same at the end of the film as they were at the beginning. And finally, what the fuck is it with Kevin Costner comparing himself to God? Jesus Christ. Like, if if you thought the water world or the postman was bad, in this, is God complex is in full view. 
The final scene of the film is a bishop delivering a mass talking about how God watches over <laughs> all of us and protects us, all while the camera slowly zooms in on Costner's face. <laughs> I forgot. I did forget that scene. And it's, also, the I'm sure the cross amazing. is the... I think the cross is the little uh, microphone cross, the transponder cross that he gives to uh, Whitney Houston, which is a little throwback to. So, because yeah. obviously he is uh, the best in the business, he has some secret tools that look like jewellery and whatnot, like a brooch or whatever. So, one of them looks like a cross, and you you press, push it, and it gives him a little alarm to say, This like is where I button. am. Yeah, yeah, basically, yeah. Yeah, come but, and save me. I, I do think essentially what he's saying is that, like, this priest is praying to God, but the idea of a film is like, God's going to do jack shit. The person you should be praying to is Kevin Costner. Get on your he's, knees, priest. He's the, he's the only one. Pray to Turn Costner. around, pray to me, you know? <laughs> oh, it's, you know, no one's limiting the kind of tools that God can use to save you. God sends Kevin yeah, maybe. Costner to maybe, protect them. Yeah, maybe he's, a, he's an angel, a, a defending angel, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or, or he's better than God, Dave. That's that, They're the two interpretations. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you can take it either way. <laughs> and finally, Ozzy, anything to come back on that on Gav's points on characters? So I didn't mind that these characters disappeared because essentially, I mean, the film is about, it's about Kevin Costner's character, Frank, and it's about Whitney Houston's character, Rachel. And it's, it's essentially the contrast between the two lives and how they come together. That's literally the film. So everyone else, I think, just has to turn up for their part of the film. And, and they do. Like, I thought uh, Devaney was great. Like, he's in it for the first, you know, sixth, first quarter, tops. And, you know, and he, but he, he sets the scene. He's good. I, I liked him. He's not, like, I thought he, he just, I, I agree with Gav that it would, might have been nice to see a bit more of him. But then we'd been moaning that the film was too long. You know, if we'd have seen more character development for these side bit characters like Devaney, like Tony, you know, like, it just would have been a bit pointless but what we do see is insights into the character so when they go to the cabin in the woods it's like the safe house it's really a place for frank to chill out basically somewhere where he thinks everything's fine it's where you get to see a bit of the backstory about him the reality of him you meet his dad you meet um ralph wait and you know what you know i think that's a nice insight into the character of frank you know of him before he became the bodyguard and, and you hear the and you hear the story about why it affected him so much because in it, and they bring it back to that he was the bodyguard for uh, Reagan, no? Reagan. Reagan. Yeah. So they're yeah. bringing out the Reagan, and then they say, well, Reagan got shot, and he's like, yeah, not on my watch. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, mixed success. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so essentially, so he's like, yeah, so not on my watch. And then you find out that the reason he wasn't there is because he was at his mum's uh, funeral, which, you know, is pretty touching moment. I've just sort of threw it in there without any real timing, but the, no, the timing say, within I'd, that I'd was, say the was film. Good. The film throws it in without any real yeah. timing as well, to be honest. Uh, yeah, like, yeah. The like the, the bit about him being Reagan's ex-president, the film had more than enough time to explore it because you are, you know, Ozzy's right, you know, maybe they aren't spending much time on these, but that means you've got a lot of time spent on Whitney Houston and Kevin Costner. And I don't feel they really explore the interesting bits, like what, you know, what drives her to always be putting herself in danger and going on stage. That's the interesting thing for her. For him, what happened with Reagan and why did it not? And that's the interesting thing for, for his character. And I, I just think it was a real it was a real waste because the film brings up these things. It brings up its own story mm-hmm. and then moves right past it. And you're a bit like, well, why did you bring it up? Like, if don't tell me about Reagan if you're not going to explore it or have some sort of arc at the end where, uh, yeah. It, so it's weird. It, she has a son and he has a relationship and he sort of builds that up with him and that kind of goes nowhere. So... 
you know, they, they, like a bit like the chauffeur, like Gav's saying, to be honest, there's just lots of little elements that kind of go nowhere. I mean, yeah. he's, a, he's a big, he's a big one because he literally just goes off screen. But there's a bunch of stuff apart from the romance sort of, sort of pep, put us on all the way through it. There's loads of these little bits of story that would be interesting, that you are interested in, but the film doesn't seem to agree. I would say as well, following on from that, Frank is racked with guilt that Ronald Reagan was shot, but not killed when Frank was off duty. So much so that he has sweaty nightmares about it. But Rachel's sister is literally murdered <laughs> whilst he's on duty, and he never registers any guilt or any emotion over it. He wasn't getting no, paid to protect Rachel, though. Yeah, he was getting he paid, paid to. Pro- he was. He was getting, sorry. He was getting paid to get to protect Rachel, not. The but he other wasn't woman. getting paid to protect Reagan on that day, was he? <laughs> <laughs> but um, you, you know, there there are there are definitely flaws in this, but I, I, it doesn't really matter about these other characters. I'd say he does do a good um thing. The agent, I think he does do a good job of being an absolutely obnoxious prick. He does a great, it, like, it, really, you do get the sense of character immediately. And as it goes on, you're just like, fucking hell, this guy is an ass. And I think that's good acting. You know, anytime you can feel for someone along those lines, I think it's good. Okay. Thank so, you very when, much. I see saying the agent guy here, he means yeah. the, the killer. So. Oh, no, I didn't. I Sorry. I meant, um, I meant, um, <laughs> Gary Kemp. Sorry. Oh, the oh, right. Sorry, I the, the hair there. agent. Yeah, 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 not the killer. Yeah, so the killer is is almost. I mean, he's even probably more of a bit part than than the others actually. But that doesn't really matter because the the real killer was her sister, in my yeah. eyes. So, <laughs> okay. Well, I think I've I've heard everything I need to hear. To be honest, oh, have I got? Have I? <laughs> no, 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 no. Is no, there more I need I've to hear? So fucking much more. Like, okay, well, well <laughs> no, I, I, I'll try, try and condense it all. But, if, but uh, Alex is completely right about the script feeling really jumbled and plot points and character arcs just completely abandoned, like his relationship with Whitney Houston's son. It just literally is built up to be a big thing and then just goes absolutely nowhere. There's this really bad daytime soap level twist, as we've mentioned before, when we find out that Rachel's sister hired an assassin to murder her sister. How, you ask? She just walked into, and this is what she says, into a seedy bar and asked somebody in there. She fully paid up front, and the assassin is so dedicated to his job that he won't call off the job, not even after he mistakenly murders Rachel's sister. So this is where the script really takes the piss for me. So Frank took Rachel and co. to a secluded cabin in the middle of nowhere to hide away from a potential hit. The sister is killed, so they just return to normal after that. And it's not, it's not mentioned. Did Rachel find out that her sister wanted to kill her? You know, did Rachel know why her sister was killed? The character literally doesn't react at all. She's just, you know, forgets about it. And then they go to the Oscars. The killer, we should say the assassin, is a former secret service agent that Frank knows from his previous job. He's supposed to be a secret assassin. So he's been paid to murder Rachel. He should be like hanging in the shadows somewhere. And yet he attends a party that Rachel is hosting in Miami as a guest. He then sexually assaults Rachel. But he was going to kill her then, to be fair. Was he though? Because he, I, I mean, he kind so, of yeah. just like, well, 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 if he was going to kill her, why would he like 
in public in front of many witnesses, take her into a bedroom, then murder her. And then, yeah, it just doesn't make any sense. He sexually assaults her. Then at the Oscar ceremony, he's just pissing about backstage and has a chat with Frank before trying to then hide in the shadows and start his assassination attempt. It just seems like the, they panicked at the last minute and they were like, shit, who can the killer be? Oh, we'll just make it this Secret Service guy. And it's like, oh, even though he, he hasn't even pretended to act like an assassin at all, he's just been openly, fragrantly like fanning about and talking to people. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. I'm sorry. Okay. I think that's all I need to hear. I think I, I, Ozzy. <laughs> sorry, or between me and Joel, I just want to, what I would do want to say as well is that in spite of its flaws, right, this movie is like pretty, maybe like avant-garde for the time, essentially. Like in terms of what it deals with, it's very aware of the time it's set and it's an interracial couple. They're, they deal with like one of the main events. So the sexual assault uh, takes place when she has gone to a hotel resort to do a fundraising charity for it's like an AIDS benefit concert. So she goes to that. So it deals with, you know, on the periphery, it's talking about a lot of very pertinent points that were sort of avoided around the side. So, um, yeah. yeah. Right. I, I've just got to, some really small things, Dave. So yeah. First of all, like obviously, this is one of the most successful films that was released around that time. The soundtrack, I mean, obviously, we haven't mentioned that, but I was, was waiting for someone to mention <laughs> the highest selling soundtrack of all time by the highest female selling artist of all time. I forgot all, um, about that. Yeah. all that stuff, you know, it, it you can ignore it, but at the same time, there's, you can't, you know, because they are absolute box office smashing records and also the scene where kevin costner jumps in front of the gun you know that has been parodied a hell of a lot and obviously when you parody something again it doesn't automatically mean that it's a good thing or great but it it means that it's got a wide reaching audience and that a lot of people have seen it and that people must like it to parody it over and over again so you know add all those things together and what have you got to hit film okay thank you very much alex i saw your hand up can oh, I jump in before you go? Sorry, I just yeah. wanted to say <laughs> briefly, that briefly. What, you've got to, what you've got to think about this film is that without this film, I mean, Kevin Costner literally introduced Whitney Houston to the song I Will Always Love You. So without it, we would never have it, basically, when he takes her to the little country dive bar. I mean, I, I do like Dolly Parton's version of it. You know, she, but she, she wrote but it. But Whitney, Whitney Houston had clearly never even heard of it because when she got to that bar she had no idea what it was loved it <laughs> this is in this is in the film not actually behind yeah, the scenes because yeah. <laughs> i think behind the scenes it was kevin costner who was the advocate for uh, <laughs> i will always love you being being used and covering a dolly parton song okay so i've heard a bit about soundtrack alex you had a, a small point to make absolutely small point i, I just agree lastly with a couple of things that the uh, defense was saying it, it is good especially at the time to have you know a, a black female lead and a white male lead and and you know i think that was quite you know i i think kind of different for the time and different for now actually when you think about it there's not an awful lot of that so so that 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 is a positive part of the film and you know what joel was saying like you know it's a good soundtrack and stuff like that it's a date movie and it's like i'd say one of the most classic date movies and uh, you know it, it's up to you whether you think that's good enough to put it on the hit or shit list but uh, on the hit list i would say it's on the shit list because 
like a good date movie basically if if it's gone well no one's watching the second half do you know what i mean like it's got it's all very <laughs> it's all extremely simple and all very you don't need to really be paying attention because god who should be during that time if you watch you know if you're with the date and you're actually following the plot then you're us do you know what i mean <laughs> where you know whereas most people didn't give you know wouldn't give a shit and you don't want to have a, a complicated plot but really as a film does a date movie essentially should it be put on the hit or shit list and i would say no because it's it's just too it's just too it's, it's too like telegraphed it's too boring and it's just not got enough it's got some things like you know like the defense was saying that it's not you know there is merit to it but with a few tweaks, with a few little bits, it could have been great. And I think it's the lack of potential when you think it could have been much better than it turned out to be. That's that's the kicker for me. And for like, it feels like the fifth or sixth time. <laughs> does anyone have anything to add? Or... Don't ask us, Dave. Yeah, don't ask Dave. <laughs> Trial's done. Trial's done. I'm going out. <laughs> uh, okay, I've got a lot of notes to uh, to work my way through here. Let's kill some time. Joel, I believe you got a quiz for us. I have. I started off doing a quiz about Kevin's, um, and then <laughs> I got to like five or six Kevin's, and I was like, "Four, you know, I'm really scraping the barrel now." There's some <laughs> Kevin's that I looked up on Google, and they were in like three films, and it just wasn't going to work. So it's like a few questions about Kevin's, and then it's just Kevin Costner films. So here we go. Anyway, so okay, so how many siblings did Kevin McAllister have, oh, and God. can you name them? Ooh, I'm talking. I'm, I'm talking siblings, so not not like his cousins and I, I Kevin McAllister has... Home Alone. Yeah, Kevin McAllister's Home Alone. Yeah. So he's got uh, Buzz. Three. I'm gonna say three. Buzz. We all know Buzz. I think it's three. I think it's. I'm three. gonna go. Yeah, three. I'll I'll join the herd. Uh man, too many sheep. It's four. Oh, <laughs> so there's there's Buzz. There's Jeff, who's like the 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 kids with like the long uh, yeah. hair. It's like gingery. And then his two sisters, which is Megan, who's the the one who's like he, he mouths that French oh, word French to him. I can't. Yeah, yeah. And then there's Linny as well. Um, so there you go, four siblings. So, uh, what is Kevin Hart's avatar, Franklin? What's his weakness in Jumanji? Okay, cakes. It is cake. Well done. <laughs> uh, what does Star Lord? Sorry, who does Star Lord claim saves the world by removing sticks? Up their asses by dancing. Kevin Bacon. Kevin Bacon, yeah. Yeah. It is Kevin Bacon in Footloose. <laughs> um, David Harkin is played by which Kevin? The, so the character is called David Harkin, and I'll give you a clue because it's a really obscure kind of character. But Jason Bateman's also in the film. Is that the. Oh, is it um, Kevin Spacey in Horrible Bosses? It is. Well done. Well done. Oh. Okay, so Ke- Kevin James, like. The original question was going to be how many films of Kevin James and Adam Sandler being in together? Too fucking many. So and then, like, <laughs> tell them to stop. I got, I got through a few, and I was like, I, I can't even be asked looking at any master. <laughs> what is Kevin James's net worth to the nearest million? I was actually quite surprised. Jesus, um, who actually is he? Forty million. Forty-six million. He's the kind of oh, that guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah like Sorry, he's yeah. Adam Sandler. King of Queens. Forty-six million. Forty-six. Any advances? Sixty-three. Sixty-three. Nice. Aussie. I'm gonna say say million, but I bet you it's way higher. Yeah, like I wish I was Adam Sandler's friend. It's a hundred million. Wow. Wow. 
You say that. Would you like to be Adam Sandler's friend? (laughs) (laughs) Would you rather be Adam Sandler's friend and have everybody hate you and have a hundred million? Or would you rather just be Joel and have just five of us hate you? (laughs) (laughs) Hundred million. I'd buy new friends, Ozzy. I think so. Uh, What is this just blew me away? I mean, some of you you Kevin Costner fans, you might know the answer to this already. Um, But what is the name of Kevin Costner's band? Oh shit! Don't they in um? It's Costnuts. They were in the other film, weren't they? Like it's the most like ridiculous thing. It's the called Kevin, Kevin, Cost- Kevin Costner in the Modern West. Like mm-hmm. he has to have his name in the title of the band. <laughs> yeah, well, of course. He's a, top what a massive fucking statistical. <laughs> okay, um, Kevin Sorbo, the legend. <laughs> What is the highest rate? Sorry, what is the rating of his highest film on Rotten Tomatoes? Oh. Just, just get obviously it's a guess. No, it's a percentage gap. Oh, Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> sorry, um, three point six percent. Based on that, yeah. no, no, I've gone higher. I'm going to say because uh, yeah, forty-two percent. I have no 42. idea who he is. He's Hercules. Hercules from the you know, TV show. The TV show, yeah. Oh shit! <laughs> okay, thirty-five. Oh, yeah, no, I'm going to go with 32. I didn't know he was in a film. I just thought he was in that and Xena. That was literally all I thought he was in. <laughs> it shows what you guys think of Kevin Sorbo. Not much. Yeah, Not um... very much at all, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. even, even less since he got political. Oh, really? 45% is his highest one. I said 42. Oh. That's not that um, much off. So I'll give you the point for that one, Gav. <laughs> the film called Soul Surfer. If you want to, and I know it well. That's I was the person that said so that it should be either forty-two or forty-five percent. <laughs> okay, so the next three questions are I've read like I suppose you'd call them headlines, but they're also kind of like synopsis of uh, Kevin Costner films. So, a man becomes a myth in this thrilling journey of romance, adventure, and desperate, hero- desperate heroic action. Tink up. Um, no. Theme of dreams. <laughs> Robin, Robin Hood. Prince of Thieves, yeah. No, it's none of those. Waterworld. Uh, it, it, it's just spam, spamming. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, okay, he's done a few westerns, I suppose, so it's a western. Wyatt Open Range. Wyatt Earp is, yeah. Nice. Um, okay, so the untold, the untold true story of legendary detectives. The Highwayman. The Highwayman is. Yeah. Have you a secret, Kevin Costner fan? <laughs> no secret. No secret. <laughs> despite, despite everything that I've said over the past four weeks, <laughs> I'm a massive fan. Okay, and last but not least, a dying CIA agent trying to reconnect with his estranged daughter is offered an experimental drug that could save his life. It's no, one of those kind of lesser known films, I suppose. So, what's he do? Sorry, it's you know, it's like, oh, what it's was it? So, so many days to kill, three days to kill, three days to kill. Well done. I wouldn't have got three. <laughs> I so many like days to kill. Twelve days to kill. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of rest days in between. First day, try and kill. Second day, have a rest. Third day, <laughs> try and kill again. <laughs> Fourth and fifth day, have a rest. <laughs> All right, so uh, that's it. So I think you're the undisputed Kevin Costner fil- film fan, Gav, to be honest. What do I win? Um, a pair of my used underwear. 
Oh, yes. <laughs> nice. <laughs> You've already got them as well, haven't you, Gav? So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just, get, just, just get a retainer. It's got, kid, it's got Kevin Costner's face just on the package. Just I was going to say, in the, in the biz, we call you underwear Costner's. <laughs> I'm not even going to ask why. Right. Okay, well, thank you very much for that, Joel. Um, yeah, so I've, I've, try, I've tried to condense my notes a little on this one, so I've never seen The Bodyguard. I have no no opinion on it, really. Uh, so I've been digesting what people have said. It's not too long, which, as we established for a Kevin Costner movie, is is a, a breath of fresh air, to be honest with you. It's a decent cinematic length, which is, funnily enough, a pro. Uh, it's an easy watch, is what I seem to get from people on this one. It's um, it's not one you should take too seriously. You know, it's it's predictable, is what the uh, the prosecution said, but the defense said it's charming. And you know what? Predictable isn't always a bad thing. You know, imagine if you watched The Fugitive with Harrison Ford and he was like, he, he, he was a, got away from the prison bus for like six minutes and then got beaten to death by the man with the arm. You know, it's like sometimes unpredictable isn't welcome. Sometimes you just like to know what you're sitting down to watch and enjoy the film in front of you. So I don't think predictable is necessarily a bad thing. Boring, however, is. And that was another thing the prosecution put towards it. Um, you know, Gav says the, the supporting characters uh, are underused. But Ozzy said, you know what, they're kind of irrelevant. You know, even though Joel's at supporting cast gets an A+. It's your principles that are the key to this film. It is a romance, after all. It is a thriller that hinges on their relationship. But the prosecution said that as far as that relationship goes, the romance is lifeless. There is zero chemistry going on. The performances themselves, Houston, uh, everyone says Whitney Houston was, was surprisingly good. And maybe we believe she's good because we are surprised that, you know, we have not really, I don't know any other acting performances from Whitney Houston. I'm sure she may have had a couple, but I don't think anything to this level. And maybe it's just a pleasant surprise that, oh, you know, she was good. She was, she could act. Doesn't necessarily mean that she'd hold her own taking on other serious roles in other films, you know, going head to head to head with other serious professional actresses. Costner is pretty much established was not so good in this film. I don't mind the romance being a bit lifeless because of their, their situation they're in. You know, he is an employee. She is the employer. He's there to protect her. He's there to do a job. You can understand that sparks aren't necessarily going to fly. They've got to keep it subdued. They've got to try and stay professional. But at the same time, there should be something bubbling under the under the surface. And I don't get the feeling that anything was bubbling there for Kevin. You know, even though this film is a huge <laughs> success, as she Joel said, very successful. Yeah. <laughs> Joel says very successful. The soundtrack, you know, this has become a pop culture icon. This is a big film. And you know what? In, Ozzy says, in spite of its flaws, it's a, it's a positive movie and it's a classic date movie. I think when I sit down to watch The Bodyguard, I think I might enjoy it because I think it is just going to give me what I'm expecting and it's going to be an easy watch. It's going to be fun. But that's not what films on trial is necessarily about. We <laughs> yeah. are here to break down the film into the sum of all of its parts and see is this film in itself any good? And there's just too many flaws here for me. Weak, weak protagonist, weak script, poor direction. There's too much going on here that I think could tank it. And for that reason, from a purely critical perspective, I think I'm going to like it. But from a critical perspective, I don't think it's going to stand up uh, and stand the test of time. So I'm going to, with regret, wow. put it on the shit list. Wow. I'm going to put it out there. That was some good judging. Like, there was some <laughs> very, very good, was some good, good arguments on that. I was, I was riveted to which way it was going to go. Yeah, there, were, there were more twists and turns in that judgment than in... 
and then bodyguard. the bodyguard. And that was entertaining. <laughs> I, enough, I think generally. Dave's judgment was better than our entire trial. I think <laughs> <laughs> it's like, did I really Dave say that? No, God, you make me sound really clever. Do you know? <laughs> I might put a disclaimer at the beginning of this episode to say, skip to the 50th minute mark. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it basically does it for us. Do you know what I mean? We, we just fannied around for like an hour. <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's that's what I'm here for. That's the role you guys play. <laughs> <laughs> okay so genuine opinions then so should we start off with the defense ozzy you know what i i i didn't mind it like i thought it was good ish so i don't mind that it's on the on the shit list critically but i did kind of enjoy it so like yeah exactly as dave summed up is that i i liked it as a film but i don't necessarily think it's a hit film like it's overhyped and over it's loads of good points to it but it it just was i don't know it felt dated actually maybe that was the worst bit about it for me mm. and uh joel yeah shit like i think <laughs> i think if this film didn't have whitney houston in it and it was you know like some random or whatever like it wouldn't it just would be nothing i get again i think i'd watched it when i was little and this is the first time i'd had like a refresher since then and yeah, it's just, it's a nothing film. I just don't understand why it's like so revered. Maybe it isn't. Maybe we're just talking out of our asses, but yeah, it's not good. Okay, thank you very much, Joel. <laughs> and Alex? Yeah, I agree with Joel on that one. Just uh, just very boring. Like really, really predictable. I, I, I'm not very good at guessing what happens in films, but I knew it was the sister pretty much from as soon as she started speaking. And it's just yeah. like, that is just like unforgivably bad because it really wasn't anyone else, to be honest. So, yeah, yeah. you know, the thriller bit goes out the window on that. The romance isn't very good and the action shit. So it just, you know, it's just not a good film. It, the soundtrack, though, is good, you know, and you yeah. know, it's, and, it's, and it's novel to have Whitney Houston in the film, but that isn't enough. And uh, yeah, spot on, spot on judging there. Yeah, I, I completely agree with Alex. I, I I was very disappointed by it. I remember it being all right when I last watched it, but admittedly that was in the late 90s. I was just so surprised at the end when I sat down and I looked at how I felt about all of the Kevin Costner films that we've reviewed. And in order of ones that I liked least to the ones that I liked the most, it, Bodyguard would be like number one. I did not like that. It went mm. Bodyguard, Robin Hood's, Postman <laughs> and the water wow. world. Wow. Oh, Jesus. If you would have told me that beforehand, you would have given me that order. would have been like, oh, yeah, well, obviously, War World is the one that you're going to hate the most. But yeah, no, I, I, I just, as Alex said, there was just, it wasn't good. I think it failed on all fronts. It'd be interesting to see what you think, anyway, Dave. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for the record, though, I fucking love Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. Yeah, let's, yeah. let's no, not start really that with the same brush as some of the other missteps. <laughs> no, but I, I said that you know it, it, it was. I mean, it wasn't as bad as the bodyguards, but it's just not, it's nowhere near as good as Warworld, Dave. <laughs> like if it like combined some of the films together, you know, it could have potentially been a good film. You know, like maybe a postman who's actually a bodyguard 
on the side or... <laughs> in, in medieval England, taking taking an arrow for like a, a traveling bar. <laughs> who, who also teaches golf in his spare time. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, I did think that he was far more believable as like a nomadic fish boy than he was as a former secret service <laughs> bodyguard. He just seemed like a regular man. At no point did I think this guy used to be in the secret service and he's a trained bodyguard. Anyway, like higher or lower than our previous film on trial, which was, in fact, I won't do it because it's a bit unfair because it was yeah. the postman and that got 8% critical. <laughs> <laughs> they will do the one before that, Waterworld, which got 48% critical and 43% ah, It's going to be higher. It's, it's got to be higher. It's, it's got, got to be higher. I'm going to go lower. Oof. Okay. Right. Well, it, it's lower and higher. It's lower on critical, 34%. Really? Which I was really surprised about. And it's higher, only just though, on audience, 64%. That is surprising because, I mean, your main man, the god that is Roger Ebert, gave it like three three and a bit stars or something. I really think we need to stop holding Roger Ebert <laughs> such high esteem. <laughs> I, I don't think we do, to be honest. <laughs> no, no, we don't. I, sometimes I use, his, uh, I use his website just as a bit of a like what the fuck's this guy on about it's like he's just using it as a place to write essays do you know like it's just uh, i just need to I, really I get I something off my know chest. what happens like roger was watching it on a date and halfway through we got a bit of action yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And he wrote it directly afterwards do you know what I mean? it was like a very relaxed happy roger but you know, big big grin on his face the, rogering. <laughs> the, the rogering stars uh, people were like oh guys i couldn't believe that twist with the sister that was bad that's probably why he only reviewed the first like 23 minutes of the film <laughs> and then listened to the soundtrack on repeat <laughs> <laughs> okay now that that is it the final nail in the coffin there Kevin Costner's season is over. We will not be reviewing another Kevin Costner film for at least a week. <laughs> <laughs> so I will say that uh, next week's film on trial has been pulled out of the hat at random, and it is the. Dances with Wolves. <laughs> <laughs> no it is uh, rush hour it's rush hour and oh nice all, yeah all the roles have been picked out of the heart of random so in defense is going to be alex and joel in oh. prosecution is going to be <laughs> Aussie and... <laughs> uh, i think we already know Aussie's true feelings on the film. <laughs> get in can't wait oh <laughs> And uh, that means I will be playing the judge. So looking forward to that one, guys. So uh, thank you very much, everyone, for your arguments. And thank you very much to anybody who's listened to this episode. Really appreciate it. If you want more Films on Trial content, go on filmsontrial.co.uk. Check out our episodes on any streaming platform. Follow us on Twitter, at Film Trials, or Films on Trial on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. That is it. Kevin Costner, oh, all together, I think was half and half, fairly shit and hit. But the bodyguard <laughs> definitely was a shit uh, floating in the pool. And so we're going to be in your ears next week with Rush Hour. <laughs> Goodbye. For what it's worth, what I meant was get in, what a contentious film. <laughs> <laughs>